Um, since the start of this year, 2015, uh, three young people have taken their precious lives and um, many more have tried at the university in town, uh, the middle school, high school, and countless others uh, have struggled quietly with depression and um, maybe even suicidal thoughts. So this church is fighting back, um, not against people. We, we, that's not how we do. We're not fighting against people. We're fighting against the darkness that is destroying the people that we love. That's what we're doing. And that's what this whole uh, emphasis within our hopeful series called uh, A Life Worth Living is all about. And this is the fourth and second to last week that we're going to be doing this. Um, We're talking about this complex issue, and I just want to lay some groundwork. There is no shame in wrestling with darkness and depression. It is so common. It is so common in the Bible. Like people who wrote scripture again and again and again, we hear, we read about their struggles with the same things. So I There's no shame in that battle. What would be a terrible shame is if you accepted it, that this has to be the reality for me. And you stayed there because there is no reason to. We talked about the physical, medical. We talked about the psychological, emotional. We talk about the spiritual, but there is help and there is hope and there is healing. And there is a rescuer and there is a God who is in love with you. And this God who loves you is not about leaving you where he, where you find him. I said where he found you. He never lost you. He is all about transforming you and me from the inside out at a soul level into the men and women. He created us to be fully alive and shining in the radiance of his presence. That's what he's about. That's what we're about. So before we move on, because we're four weeks in, I want to take a look at where we came from. And right from the beginning, we had, we had a rule. We had, we had a goal. The goal, we said, is more than not taking your own life, although we need to get there. The goal is to truly live. So this is for every one of us who wants maximum life. And let's take a look at where we've been. Week one, part one, we said, God can use you. This was for people who want to help. We said, God can use you to be the difference between life and death for somebody. And and, and the way that we we talked about was through a a story in the Bible of of Paul in prison and, and the guard who who attempted suicide, we said, the model is Jesus, them, you, Jesus, right? We first talk to Jesus about this person in prayer uh, that we're concerned about. Then them, you get them to share with you in a safe way what they're struggling with. And then you, you assure them that you are here for them in every way, in any way that you are going to walk through this with them. And finally, Jesus, our ultimate goal is to point them to Jesus because we don't want them simply not to take their life. We want them to truly live. And in part two, this was for people who are struggling. We said, meeting others' needs is what you need. 
is what I need. That, that when you and I lift the burdens of others, we realize that Jesus is lifting ours. And, and we had a way to remember this. Here it is. See this? Go. Go. Be, love God. Love others. We take the focus off of our own struggles, not to diminish them. They are real. But when we focus on God, when we focus on others, like God starts lifting ours. And we have these pins if you, if you need to remember, love God, love others, go. And in week three, here's what we did. Week three, we said the solution is not just to get any hope, but to get unbreakable hope. And we had kind of a mathematical formula here. A broken person placing hope in another broken person or thing equals broken hope. You follow me? To boil that down, broken plus broken equals double broken with cheese, right? You get that, right? So you can, the, the goal of last week was you can put your hope in the God of hope. We can push all of our chips to the middle of the table. That's what we did. That's what we did last week if you were here with us. Now, um, the, the podcast from last week, um, we had some technical difficulties with it. So what we're going to do for those of you who need it or those of you who missed, or those, we're going to put the manuscript under sermon resources, okay? So you can, you can refer this and, and you can follow the whole series if you need to. That was week three. Today is week four. Here we go. This is what we're talking about. How to defeat the gray days. Now, people who struggle with depression and, and suicidal thoughts are not the only ones who's ex, who experience gray days. Amen? I mean, really? I mean, all of us do. So this is for all of us. But you must take intentional and internal action to defeat the gray days. Because you may not be in control of what is happening, but you are in control of how it affects you how you respond to it. And that's true regardless of what you believe here, whether you share the Christian faith, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not, that's true. You may not be in control of what's happening, but you are in control of how it affects you, how you react to it. So that's what we're looking at this morning. And I'm excited about this because it's highly practical. Um, When you leave here today, you will have five steps, five things that you can do to defeat the gray days. And we often think about um, when we face gray days, you know, where, where just your, your mind is just consumed with difficulty or the struggle or darkness and you can't enjoy the things you normally enjoy and the people who, who normally give life to you, you just, mm, everything is gray. I mean, down to a soul level. And we often think that it's an outside thing. We need to change something on the outside. And some of you, I might be related to some of you who, who, who would think we need to change. We need to buy some clothes. We need to buy some shoes. That's going to do it. Or, right, or, or some fishing tackle or something, whatever you're into. Or we need to go out and we need to exercise crazily, work out like a mad person. That's what I do, obviously. Get a little, little more ripped. That's what I'm about. The outside in. We need a change of scenery. We need to go to another place. We need to go do another thing, a different thing. We need to eat or drink or ingest or smoke or something. Something that makes us feel better. Right? 
But that doesn't work. Take a look at this. This is true. Take a look. Outside fixes are simply anesthesia. Now, anesthesia is very useful for short-term pain deadening. Amen, Jimmy? Yes. That's what he does. Right? Not not eat and drink and smoke. He's an anesthesia guy, right? Um, Outside fixes, though, are simply anesthesia. When they're over, you come back down to gray. If that's what you were, you have to change your inside. It's an inside job. So these five are things on the inside of us. God always works inside out. We always want to go outside in. That was like the Pharisees, right? We're going to fix the outside and the inside will take care of itself. No, quite the opposite. This is an inside job. And you will have five internal things that you and I can do starting today. Now we find these five steps. In the lyrics of a song. And the song was written um, by someone who was appointed by King David to be kind of the Eric Williams, right? Or Lindsay, um, the worship leader. This song was written by the worship leader appointed by King David to lead songs, to lead praise and worship in the temple. Now, This worship leader is having the grayest of gray days. The grayest of gray days. And that is where we're going to find our five steps. Now, this is another reason for you, if you struggle with depression and darkness, to stop beating yourself up. Somebody whom was appointed by God through King David to lead His chosen people in worship struggled in this way, as did Elijah, as did Abraham, as did so many other people in Scripture. So stop beating yourself up. Don't you think, just on a side note, that if the Bible was all made up, the people who wrote it would take out the parts where they look broken and depressed? Wouldn't you? Okay, we're going to find this song in, in Psalms. Psalms is a collection of songs, right? It's an iTunes list way before iTunes was cool. And um, chapter 42, pick it up in verse 5. And the psalmist, the writer, wrote this. Why are you cast down or downcast? Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Now, now this is... This is darkness, the soul level darkness. This person, this man has the weight of the world on his mind, on his heart, on his soul. And some of you know what that feels like. Crushing. Why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you in turmoil and unrest and confusion inside of me? This guy is spiritually authentic. Spiritually honest, and that's what we want to be, right? He's not the guy. When you go up to him and you say, hey, how you doing? Fine. Fine. Tell your face, right? Fine. Look, if you're a married guy, I'll just give this to you for free. If you're a married guy, you know that when your wife says fine, it's not fine. You know this, right? Right? Because if you don't, we have counseling for you. 
This guy is spiritually honest, spiritually authentic. And he goes on, why are you one? He says to himself, put your hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And we're going to be returning to this throughout. We're going to get our five steps from here. So let's take step one. Here it is. Take a look. Step one is this. Don't listen to yourself. Do not listen to yourself. The writer could have listened to all the voices he was hearing in his head and his heart of self-judgment, condemnation, doubt, and self-pity. But he didn't. Don't. You either don't listen to yourself. He confronted himself. He asked himself, why, self? Are you so downcast, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? He didn't accept it. He confronted it. He could have listened to all of those voices, but he confronted it. And we need to do the same. Why not listen to yourself? On the gray days. Two reasons. Number one, because no one has been harsher, more judgmental and harmful to you than you. No one has thought as many bad things about yourself as you have. So don't listen to yourself. Number two, why we should not listen to ourselves on the gray days is if you do, Chances are very high that you would be listening to this. Take a look. Lies. Lies that you've told yourself. Lies that others have told you. Lies that the enemy of your soul keeps whispering to you. They might sound like this. No one loves me or cares about me. I am ugly, stupid, worthless failure. My life has no meaning. I'm not good enough to be loved. I would be better off dead. Oh, that would come straight from the enemy. And stopping the pain will stop the suffering. And every single one of these are things that you and I and people who struggle have thought and said and listened to. And that last one, stopping the pain will stop the suffering. My big sister, Mary Ellen, When she heard we were doing this series, she sent me this. She said, Tommy, suicide doesn't end your problems and suffering, but transfers your pain and suffering to your loved ones. That's a wise lady. Wise lady. We listen to lies. Come here. Come here, I'll tell you a secret. You think that this is the way you feel. So it must be real. Right? Must be true. Here's the secret. Feelings lie. Feelings lie. Especially this one. Take a look at this. Take a look at this one. Pastor uh, Ray Johnson says, the most depressing, debilitating, hope-killing acronym is T-W-N-C. Do you have any idea what that means? Tigers wear no clothes. Uh, No, no, close. Here it is. TWNC means 
Things will never change. That is the most debilitating hope-killing acronym. Here's what Ray Johnson writes. He says, this toxic, dangerous thought process has the power to destroy your marriage, your friendships, and career. These four words, things will never change. They replace confidence with cynicism. They replace high hopes with desperation and despair. And they blind people like you and me to the possibility that God might have better days ahead. These four words, things will never change, are so powerful, they can handcuff the hands of God. Jesus didn't do any miracles in his hometown in Nazareth. Why? Because the Bible says because of their unbelief, because they believed that things would never change. So stop listening to yourself. Stop listening to the lies. That's step one. And step two is very closely related. Take a look at it. Talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. The psalmist said, talk to himself. He says, why are you this way? Why are you Put your hope in God. He talked to himself. Now, you and I, it, it, well, if you're anything like me, um, you have gone through life thinking that the people who talk to themselves need the most help. Some of it on a couch. You know what I'm saying? I mean, even today, like I travel a lot for work at Western and I'll be in like DIA and you'll see a person walking alone and their arms have bags in them and they're walking alone, but they're having a conversation out loud and there's nobody there. And most of the time, most of the time, um, later I, I, I get a different angle and they have a Bluetooth thing, headset that I did not see, but not always, not always. And like in those cases, like I'll give them a lot of room because maybe they do need help and, and a lot of room. And I don't want like their pet unicorn coming after me or nothing, right? But sometimes we think that people who talk to themselves are the ones whose, whose thoughts are scattered and messed up and need help. This scripture set me straight. It's not the people who talk to themselves who need help. It's those of us who listen to ourselves. So this scripture would say, talk to yourself, just like the psalmist did. Talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. The psalmist said, look here, self. Stop this stinking thinking and put your hope in God. Push all your chips to the center of the table, just like we did last week. Put all your hope, put all your worries, put all your fears, put all your anxiety in God. Talk to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Jesus is for me. Jesus came for me. He died for me. I am forgiven in him. He has risen for me. I have his righteousness. I have his approval. He is here with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. I am the apple of his eye. In him, I am righteousness. I am accepted. I am enough in Christ. Preach the, look, the best message that you will ever hear will not be from me. Please hold your amens. That hurts, okay? Just hold them, I see. The best, most effective message that you will ever hear is the one that you preach to 
yourself. To yourself. And the title of that message or one of them might be Put Your Hope in God Self. Put, what are you doing? Put your hope in God. Might look like this. Take a look. I belong to Jesus who gave his life for me so it doesn't matter what the medical report says, what the, what the report card says, what the bank account says, how your marriage or relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend might be hanging by a thread. It doesn't matter how your future is looking dark, how confused and exhausted you are, how threatening this trial that you're facing looks. It doesn't matter that you can't see how things could possibly get any better and turn around. Put your hope in God because with God, all things are possible and we all need to be reminded of us. And since you are always with you, you can remind you in the power of the Holy Spirit to put your hope in God. And that is not snap out of it. That is not just put on happy, you're fine. No, this is doing business at a core soul level with God. And doing battle for your own hope and your own joy. And all of us need to do it. So talk to yourself. Stop listening to the lies. And talk sense. Talk the gospel. Talk truth to yourself. Step three. Let Jesus lift your face. What's that mean? I mean, when we read this passage, you may be saying, I don't remember anything about face lifting. Well, well, take a look. This, this, is, this is cool. This is really cool. Um, the actual part of the passage from the translation that we use is, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, there's the word, and my God. Now, the Hebrew word used here, and there, there are many Hebrew words that they have shades and nuances of meaning, but the one used here for salvation not only means the Messiah, Jesus, would come for you, He would bear your sins. He would absorb your sins. He would die for them. He would rise for them so that you could be made right with God as a gift. It not only means that. It means that the king, the king of kings would lift your face, would shine upon your countenance. That's countenance is faith. In fact, in the NASB, a fine translation um, did uh, interpret it this way. If you bring that up. Hope in God, for I shall yet, I shall again praise him. My salvation is the help of my countenance, right? And my God. He is the lifter of your face. He is the lifter of your head. In Psalm 3, uh, we see this again. Psalm 3, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. Um, Psalm 3, 3 is actually... um, that's the NASB verse. Hang on, let me get it for you. Psalm 3, 3 is, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. The lifter of my face, the lifter of my head. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, Beth Moore, not that I listen to Beth Moore, girlfriend, um, <laughs> is... She shares um, this truth, this historic truth, that in ancient days, 
um, when there was a king and there was like a, a subject or a person from the kingdom who would come and want audience from the king, who would want something or attention from the king, they would come into the court, into the throne room, and they would fall face down, prostrate, with their faces to the ground, and lie there. Lie there. Now, if the king did not want to recognize or give attention to this person, that king would allow them to lie there face down all day, seemingly forgotten, hoping they would go away. And some of you know what that feels like. Say, my face is as low as it could be, and I feel forgotten. I feel forgotten. But Jesus... Jesus is the king who, if the king wants to recognize the person, they would, come, they would lift the person's head, lift the face. And Jesus does that. He is the lifter of our head. He is the lifter of our face. And eye to eye with him. And in his eyes, we see the forgiveness and the grace and the joy and the compassion and the encouragement and the hope. So we come face to face with Jesus and he lifts our face. And my friends, that is a facelift that every single one of us can use. And it's free. It's free. He's the lifter of your head. He is the lifter of your face. And when he does that, the clouds start to part. As soon as he starts to lift your face, the clouds part and your hope is kindled and your burdens are lightened and your heart is encouraged. Have you had an opportunity where God has lifted your face? I hope so. The reason that I have the blessing of standing here and sharing the word of God with you is because God lifted my face. Um, seven or eight years ago, it's a per, getting close to eight, I was leading worship um, at Community Church, good friends of ours down the, um, down the street. And God was doing something in my heart where I just felt like my life was being wasted and that I had this burning desire to share with people from God's word how much he loves them how much he wants to do in and through them and for them share the gospel to preach. And it got so bad that, that I was downcast. I, I was just like a weepy, dark mess. And they had a woman whom I had not previously met. Her name is Terry, and she comes from Colorado Springs. And Terry is a great, strong Christian woman who has... Um, certain spiritual gifts and and she was praying over people and we had done the music for this service um, over a community and she was asking for people to come pray and I'm just like like just silently tears just streaming down my face and I just decided to come and sit in the chair and I looked at her and I said can you pray for me she says I'm I will I know what you need. I said, you do? She says, yeah, you need to preach. And you're feeling like God has forgotten you. 
And she prayed. And God would lift my face and assure me that he had not forgotten me. And that was an amazing experience, but nothing happened. Until three weeks later, when an elder from this church asked me to lunch at Mario's, I can still point out the booth. And he said, we lost our pastor kind of suddenly. We need to do a search. Do you think you could fill in on Sundays? It's like, yeah, yeah. I had to go talk to Steve Morehouse and, and all of that, but they were, they were a blessing. And then, you know, the search didn't go so well. And after a while, they just said, could you stay on? And God lifted my face, but he'll lift yours. And, and, and that doesn't just mean that we always get what we're aching for. Sometimes we don't, and we find out that he is enough. I could start telling stories about that, and we'd never get home. But each one is equally sweet when he lifts our face, and that's part three. And I just, before we move on to four, I just want to say that we who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we need to go out and be face lifters. We need to be face lifters when people are with you. They have more hope. They have more encouragement. They feel more loved. They feel more blessed. When you go out and lift faces, my wife taught me that. We need to be face lifters because that's the opposite of what we do sometimes, particularly when we're in school and putting people down. You know, in all the testimonies of everybody who has struggled, most of them say, People did and said some awful things to me. Well, let's fight back by being facelifters. Okay, three. That's number three. Number four, get your praise on, right? Did the psalmist say, I will again praise him? My salvation and my joy. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. I'm getting there. On the gray days is probably... The gray days are probably the day when you are least likely to have a song on your heart, a song of praise and on your list, but the day that you most need it, right? So you got to do what we used to do. Now, if you're like 40 or older, um, you'll get this. We used to make mixtapes, right? We had a crush on somebody. We make mixtapes. Tapes were things that you recorded music. And we put love songs and stuff on there for the girl or the guy because we couldn't say what we needed to say. And you young people are laughing. Now you just ask each other to prom using creepy, weird ways so you don't have to say the words. We use mixtapes. It's all the same. You need a praise tape. You need a song or a group of songs that are your go-to. Now, yours won't be the same as mine. I guarantee it, because I'm musically a nerd. I went through high school and college as a closet Barry Manilow fan, okay? Yeah. Be kind. He wrote the songs. Make the whole world sing. So I'm not saying, bring it down. I'm not saying that your songs would be the same as mine. But mine. Okay, powerful, older stuff. Larnell Harris and the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. I can be glad for my hope is in the Lord. 
Okay? And rather than me just telling you, take a listen. Crank that. Get your own. You can borrow that. I don't know which one does it for you. That's one of my go-tos on the gray days. And let me tell you, I will be walking down the city market grinning like a fool. And people think it's because of the peanut butter Captain Crunch I just grabbed. But that's not for me. That's for my wife. I'm grinning because I can be glad that my hope is in the Lord, even though my circumstances stink. My hope is in the Lord, and I don't know what that is for you, but I would say you've got to be intentional. You need your praise tape. You need to go there. And you don't just need to listen to it. You need to sing it. Because if you're just listening to it, you're listening to somebody else praising. You can do that. You can do that if you're in public. I do it all the time. You see me walking like this, you know, hey, I know that song. Yes, you do. (laughs) And you know that I need it. I'm clinging to my hope. And I'm going to sing that thing until my heart sings it on its own. And you could do the same because you could lose your money and you can lose your health and you can lose your friends and you can lose your phone. But don't you ever lose your praise because when we do, we go down and praise is one of the, of, the, of the methods that God uses to lift our faces. So it's connected in number five. And then we'll let you go. Let Jesus be your God. He said, I will, I will yet again praise him, my salvation and my God. He said, what do you mean, let, let Jesus be your God? Well, Jesus is God. He is the God of the universe. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But that does not mean that we, you, have given him that place in your heart, in your life. It doesn't mean that a lot of people think that that Jesus is their God because they grew up in church or they memorized some prayers or they come here or we live in America, right? So, of course, Jesus is our God or we live pretty good or we simply believe that Jesus was, that he existed, It's a historical fact, uh, you know, we believe that. Or we think Jesus is our God because we celebrate Christmas or Easter or we hang out here. 
Here's what it means to have Jesus as your God. Take a look. Your God is the one who owns you, who sustains you, who rescues you. Is that Jesus or is that someone or something else? Your God is the one whom you love most. Would you, would you say that's Jesus or would it be someone or something else? The, your God is the one whom you live for and serve. Your God is the one in whom you find joy, your deepest hope and your deepest joy. What would you say is your deepest hope and your deepest joy? Would you say that's Jesus? What would people who know you best say is your deepest hope and your deepest joy? Your God is the one whom you with everything in your life. Your God is the one in whom you rest securely. Your God is the one whom you get your identity and worth from. Is that Jesus or is that your accomplishments, your accumulation, your appearance, your Facebook life? Where do you get your identity and your sense of worth from? Is it Jesus? Look, um, because if you end up honestly being spiritually authentic, as we talked about, and say, no, that's something else, then Jesus may not be your God. And you need to take this step first. Because look at me, look, our God is not who our words say is our God. Our God is who our life says is our God. And Jesus, he made you, created you to be restless until you find yourself, your true self in under his Godhead, in him. So if he's not your God, he can be. So let's take a look at where we've been today. You've got five steps. The first is don't listen to yourself. Don't listen to the lies. The second is talk to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the truth to yourself. The third is let Jesus lift your face and you know what that means now. The fourth is get your praise on. That's how he often lifts my face. You'll find that. The fifth is let Jesus be your God. Maybe some of you never have, or oftentimes we tend to, those who have committed and come and received Jesus Christ, certain areas of our life we get out of sync, out from under his lordship. He's not all that to us anymore. And the psalmist said, why? So downcast, oh my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will again praise him. My salvation, the lifter of my face, and my God. And Jesus gives us a meal to remember what he's done to dispel our gray days and our gray existence and our gray eternity and to give us a life living. What did he do to break the darkness? He entered into it. He loved us so much that he entered into our darkness. And scripture even says he became all those dark things on the cross that plague you and me 
He suffered them, he died for them, and then he rose victorious so that he could lift our faces as the Spirit lifted him from the dead. This is all about resurrection. Make no mistake. And he gave us this meal on the night he was betrayed. He took bread, sat with his few lower lights. He's with his friends and he took bread and he, and he broke it. He said, my friends, this, this is like my body. I'm going to be broken for you. So that you might be put together. So that you might be. And when you eat bread. When you eat anything. You remember me. You remember what I did. That's hope. At the end of the meal. He took a cup of wine. And this is juice. He gave it to his friends. And thank God for it. He said this cup represents my blood which I'm going to spill out to to wash you clean my innocent blood for your guilt so that you can walk into the throne room of God in me and have your face immediately lifted I'm doing this because I love you and when you drink this once you remember remember how much I love you and what I've done. And so we are invited, those who have pushed all their chips into the middle of the table, so to speak, on Jesus Christ. If you have trusted him as your Lord, as your God, as the lifter of your face, as the salvation of your life, is your meal. However, if you're still riding the fence on that, don't don't celebrate the substance or the symbol until you have the substance, right? Don't walk down the aisle. Just take some time. You can ask him right now. Just say, Jesus, I went through that. You're not my God, but I know you should be. You're not my Savior, but I know I need one. Lord, I'm not right with you, but you say that through your cross, through your love, through your resurrection, you can make me right, I believe. I receive that, Lord. I repent. I want to go a different direction. I want all of you for all of me for all time. Come in. You do that, then you're his. The rest of us just